1: Hello and welcome to Book Shambles, producer Trent here. Daryl Bullock is the guest on today's episode, but before we get to his conversation with Robin, a reminder that you can subscribe at patreon.com slash bookshambles to hear an extended edition of this and every episode of the podcast, as well as lots of other goodies that will come your way for subscribing. The paperback edition of Robin's book, The Importance of Being Interested, is out this week as well. So if you didn't get the hardback copy, you can head out and get the paperback now. And you can also pre-order his new book, Bibliomaniac, uh, which is out on the 6th of October. If you pre-order through the Cosmic Shambles uh, bookshop at cosmicshambles.com slash shop, you'll get uh, some exclusive art cards, signed art cards from the illustrations in the book as well. And the final thing to mention is Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People, 2022 edition is on sale now, December 16 and 17, including a matinee for families on the 17th. Cosmicshambles.com slash 9lessons is the place to go to get tickets for that. Robin hosting as ever with lots of special guests, including Josie and Helen Chersky and Chris Jackson and Claudia Hammond and loads, loads more. So head to the website to get tickets for that. Don't forget to rate and like and review five stars on Apple Podcasts. And as soon as you've done that, You can enjoy today's conversation between the author and historian Daryl Bullock and our own Robin.
0: Welcome to... Uh, Robin and Josie's book shambles. Josie, as you know, is elusive. Josie is a is a godo like figure. We wait and we wait and we wait, but one day maybe, maybe, maybe. So, uh, it's become a kind of, in in some ways, a more existential show since Josie's become extremely busy both as uh, a comedian uh, and an artist, and of course also as a parent. Um, today, I'm talking to someone who I, I the first book of his I, I read was uh, David Bowie made me gay, which is a fantastic. History of, as as well as the the people you you may well know uh, who were LGBT, the an incredible list of early twentieth century artists and stories about them. It's 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 a wonderful book. Since then, he's written another book which I didn't read, not out of disinterest. I had other things on, uh, but the Velvet Mafia, which is about. Those uh, people who were kind of many controlling forces in the 1960s pop industry uh, who were gay. and uh, But I have now read his latest book, um, which is Pride, Pop and Politics. And that's exactly what it's about. Basically, it starts, starts in the Molly houses. Uh, and then we get uh, to John Grant and beyond, obviously, uh, meeting the gay sweatshop and uh, um, Bronski Beat on the way. And that author is Daryl Bullock. Hello, Daryl.
2: Hi, Robin. Good to see you, man.
0: This is, uh, I, again, It's I, I, such a... Well, I wanted to start off actually thinking about the importance of pop culture because this book is timed, uh, I think, very well in terms of the fact of both dealing with the past and dealing with the, the present and, and beyond. But I was thinking about the importance of pop culture uh, and kind of just an understanding of LGBT stuff, which was, you know, with uh, It's a Sing... Mm-hmm. It was a very interesting thing to see a whole new generation who, because uh, I think we're both in our fifties. Yep. So, uh, you know, that, that was, that was uh, to a different level, you know, uh, of experience, uh, our, our youth, but finding out 20 somethings and 30 somethings who literally knew, nothing about what was going on in the 1980s and it seems to have been I mean I, I I'm a huge fan of Russell T Davis. anyway uh his award speeches alone are a delight <laughs> um and uh, and, I, and I and I I was really interested I, I, I just wanted to get your opinion on on, on when that series went out and and, the, and how you feel uh the effect it had on people
2: I I mean I thought it was great um I, I thought it was it was a little, obviously, you know, consumer-friendly, but I thought, as a rule, it was absolutely great. And I'm one of those people that thinks that anything that heightens awareness, anything that reminds people of where we've come from, anything that kind of pokes people to go and look something up, to check something, to look back and think, geez, was it really that bad? It's not a bad thing, you know? And And I applaud Russell for that kind of thing. I applaud him for... For his very populist, you know, uh, way of getting this information out there, it's really easy to forget our history, you know. Um, and it's, I mean, as you said, you know, we're both we're both in in our fifties now. I, I I live through that. We live through that. A lot of people that I speak to, that I meet in 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 the pub or at various talks that I give, um, have no concept of how horrible it was in the 1980s to be to be a gay man or to be an LGBTQ person in this country so I do believe that anything that helps remind people of where we've come from and and again reminds people that might think you know the war's over and and we've done everything and we are you know, we have equality, that actually we don't. And actually it could be so easily taken away from us if we're not careful.
0: That was, a, there's a, it, the, the tour I did of America uh, a, a couple of months ago was bookended by two things. I, I, on, on the way out there, I've been reading uh, Patty Smith's Just Kids, which I'm sure yeah. you've read. A mm. book about Robert Maplethorpe and there. And I found it so... Uh, interesting to, then the first thing I saw on TV was this really light, upbeat, happy, smiley advert for HIV medication. And I kind of thought, you know, I'm I'm sure it was some some kind of, you know, snake oil bullshit as so many of those adverts are, but it was, it really was, it was filled with smiling people and delight and joy. And I was thinking back to, you know, that New York of the 1980s and to think of of some of those people who were fighting against, uh, you know, Maplethorpe's art and all of those things. uh, And and now here in 2022 was just a very happy, you know, all all the show. And then the last day, so that was the first day in America, the last day in America, I was in Houston watching the uh, January the 6th hearings in, in a restaurant and I got talking to the waiter um, and I just said, oh, this is if, if Donald Trump doesn't go to prison for this, this this ersatz idea of democracy just seems to, you know, and, and he went, democracy's gone. Uh, he said it went with Roe versus Wade. And he said, they're coming for me next. Yeah. And he's he was a uh, 60, I would say around 60, uh, a waiter who was gay. And I looked at what the. Texas Attorney General had been saying and what they're now hoping to take away. And to me, it was bookended by in one way this kind of, hey. And then at the end of that two months, we have to be very careful what's going to be removed, as you were saying.
2: I absolutely agree with that. And I and I do think it's it's very easy for um this very comfortable LGBTQ community in Britain to forget that there are fights to be won all over the world and they are coming for us next Roe versus Wade being overturned is one of the most appalling things that's happened in my lifetime. And, and, and they will come for us next. They absolutely will. It's, it's, it's undeniable. And if you, if you stick your head in a bucket or in a, you know, in a bucket full of sand and ignore it, it's not going to go away. I think I think we're on a precipice to an extent and I think you know, I also do think kind of things are cyclical and we go through these awful times when everybody kind of every time we lurch towards the right we see an erosion of 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 rights for for all communities and we'll eventually get them back and hopefully we'll come back stronger but but do we really need to go through that every few years? Every single time there's some kind of fiscal issue or every time there's a lurch to the right, it's our rights that go first or women's rights that go first or black rights that go first. And it's just insane. It's some. Thank God we have a younger generation growing up who realize how in, how stupid this is and won't stand for it anymore.
0: Yeah, I was talking to a young uh, teenager who I, I think I'll, I'll go with with uh, non, non-binary, I think, you know, still exploring all those things. And they were saying, I'm illegal in 71 countries. You know, and then as as your books, uh, is it, it's, it's 11 countries where there's still the death penalty.
2: I think uh, it's currently 11. Yeah, I, actually, I think when I wrote it, it was I was working on the, the figure of 14. And, I, and it was argued that it might only be 11 because it hasn't been enacted in a few for a while. But it still
0: stands. It's still there. So, yeah. Well, that when that seems to you talk about Kenneth Baker in in the book and and Jenny lives with Eric and Martin, which I think is Mm. probably the most expensive book in my book collection. (laughs) I I, I see the current price that goes for. And um, for those of you who don't know, Jenny Lives with Eric Martin was an extremely innocuous uh, children's photographic picture book of uh, a a man's daughter. He's a gay man and uh, him and his partner looking after their daughter, Jenny, for a weekend. And Kenneth Baker was, you know, this this kind of crazy propaganda that was everywhere, even though it was actually nowhere apart from the inner London Education Authority library. And, um, and I do find it, seeing that uh you know even though clause 28 or section 28 mm. was never as you know no one was ever uh, as, as, as far as I know prosecuted under it no, but not, the, not that the, but it existed and I, and I, I remember talking to Tom Allen, the comedian about this, and he said, you know when he' he's, he's 20 years younger than me, and he was saying you know he does feel that when he was going through school. And he's talked to a lot of other people, young, you know, uh, um, LGBT people who just so this education, there was nothing. It didn't exist. There was an extra level of fear because you might it might be that no one was prosecuted but like you were saying about just because a law has not been enacted the mere fact that law exists means that you can feel the weight of that
2: well of course it does i mean there are people that chose not to go into teaching because of that law um one of the guys i interviewed in the book who a former musician was actually studying to be a teacher at that point and he decided not to go any further in in his chosen field because of the because section 28 was was enacted um God knows how many other people were put off going into the, going into education as a, as a career. God knows how many students were denied a supportive presence for those years, and, and shame on the Labour Party for taking so long to get rid of it once they came into power. You know, um, thank goodness it's not there anymore. But it, but it's still, you know, it, it's a, it's an incredibly shameful period in our in our history, in our very recent
0: history. Can I ask you what was your in terms of because I, I I presume I'm 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 guessing but if you were coming out in in the 1980s this was was a, a, a very bleak time and became bleaker I think in terms of the way the mass media was was desperate to 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 regain its homophobic ground that seemed to be be lost some of it during the 1970s, um, you know what was what was your what was your first experience for instance of of finding writers or publications or art that gave you as a teenager or younger something, some kind of hope and some kind of these people are, they're, they're the ones who uh, um, are, are, are gonna help you through and give you the confidence that you need.
2: Well, it was music. It was it was the hearing things like, or hearing people like Tom Robinson perform, Glad To Be Gay. And realizing that there was something else outside of disco for me and my community, something that spoke to me on an incredibly visceral level, um, it was music really that got me there. And, and from the age of sixteen, I was working in record shops, so I was I was exposed very early to lots of different music. And through music, you discover other, you discover writers, you discover books through music. I mean, I started reading stuff from listening to the Doors, from listening to David Bowie. Um, books that, you know, a 15, 16 year old from Gloucester would never have picked up in his local library. But I went out and started looking at things like poetry and, and and you know, kind of classics of the beat generation, which I would never have looked at before. So my eyes were opened by music. Um, my coming out story is, is probably not that much different to most people's. I told my father when I was very young, I was about 13, 14, and that did not go down well. So it wasn't really until I left home when I was 20, 21. And at that point in, in, in my life, in our lives, it was still illegal to be gay unless you were 21 or over anyway. It was still illegal to have sex with another man unless you were both over 21. So I couldn't really come out until I was 21. And as soon as I was, and as soon as I was in a place where I felt comfortable, I did. And I, I chose from that moment to tell anybody that asked, that I was gay. I didn't walk around with a flag, you know. I didn't walk around with a big pink triangle flashing over my head or anything like that. But I made a very conscious decision to tell anybody that asked, you know, why haven't you got a girlfriend? Why? You, why, why, why? You know, what? what's going on here? Um, to be honest about them. And shortly after then, I mean, literally within the next, within 12 months, I met an older gay guy. And again, I think it's almost like being mentored by somebody. And I was mentored by somebody who knew about theatre and the arts and, and um, knew about galleries and painting and music and, and other music outside of the pop and rock that I listened to. So my eyes were really opened by, by becoming aware of my peer group, I guess, and starting to socialize with people that had a similar experience to me, or that could at least Bring something to my own experience that I could identify with.
0: And so, if, if now, if someone asks your advice, Uh, and they have a son or a daughter who they just, they just think, do you know what? It would be good if they could just, you know, maybe, maybe hear these other voices. Um, What voices would you recommend? What's the first, you know, the, 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 the first book or the uh, you know, or or music, you know, just, just to kind of give people that extra bit of confidence of thinking, Oh, I'm not alone because that's the trouble, isn't it? That people think I am the only, I'm, I'm the only freak. I'm the only,
2: I think that, that that's definitely an issue. And, and kind of when I was growing up, all of the all of the cultural touchstones, if you like, uh, were negative. Every time you saw a an LGBTQ person on screen, it was it was a, it had negative connotations. It was either somebody who was highly camp and was was the butt of the joke or it was somebody who was uh, a psychopathic killer in a movie. Yeah, those you you it was either john inman with his limp wrist or it was somewhere or it's norman bates that's kind of what you had um i don't get asked this very often because i'm so honest and so open and everybody knows they could just kind of but i i kind of i've, I've got relatives now i've got you know younger nephews and i've got godchildren who who are a, a godchild who are fairly recently told me they were bisexual um And I just talk to them. I just talk to them about my life if they want to ask those questions. But luckily for them, there's plenty of information out there. Everything is available. And thank God for the Internet for them. If they, you know, they don't have to hide away and wait till, you know, the the gay programs come on at 11 o'clock at night on Channel 4 or whatever else it might be, you know, or you wait till out on Tuesday is airing once a week. They can it's everywhere they they have access they they have access to this information but they also have pop stars they have cultural icons they have um you know heroes they see on on tv and in film who are open about their sexuality i didn't have that when i was their age there was no one there was no one that was being open about their sexuality so when you're looking for a benchmark a touchstone it's something to identify with and there's nothing there it's incredibly hard i think today it's a hell of a lot easier because so many more people are freer they're more open they're more uh blasé if you like about sexuality because at the end of the day what the hell does it matter you know uh, sex is sex no matter who you're doing it with what it's so incredibly unimportant when it comes to other things in your life, you know, like having decent relationships with your family or your friends or your partners, like being a nice person, being a decent, honest, genuine person is slightly more interesting and more important than the person you're sleeping with.
0: Yeah, I, I do find when you were mentioning young people as well, I, I generally find like my son's generation is he's, he's in their early teens, and they don't really. It's just all out there, and it's just all fine. And they and all all of these words that you see in in the kind of the the, the press, and and all all of this this pronoun fury and all that. They they're just. It doesn't mean anything. It's like to them, it's just nonsense. It's fine, and, and, and it's fascinating just to see, you know, the terms that, that that trip off their tongue. And it's just like the the way things are. It's just a game. It's it's almost like some of the the talk about different ideas of identity are almost the same as when you were a metalhead or a goth or whatever you were. That those things are, and, and I think people seem to be not realizing that that's part of the game of it as as well this the, the identity thing which they seem to feel i, I don't know that, that has had attached to it some as usual notion of terrible debauchery sure
2: absolutely if, i i, I want something being played agree. with sorry no no sorry i interrupted but i absolutely agree with you i think i think it's <laughs> you can obviously see well, if you engage with anybody on social media that the, the or anti-social media, the people that are really angry about these issues are old white people who have no lives. You know, the old white people who have no lives and will profess to believe in a in a power of, you know, sitting on a cloud in the sky. The, the, uh, these people don't matter at the end of the day. These people do not matter. And and the 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 fallacy or the, the actual the ridiculous notion that this is, you know, is, is, is the height of evolution, that, that this bag of skin and bones that, that we currently inhabit is as far as we're going to go. It's just ludicrous. Maybe, you know, maybe we're all you know, the next generation, the generation after that, the generation after that. They're all going to be queer. Why the hell not? Why should we just think that our ideas about sex and sexuality are the only thing that matters? We'll, be all, we'll all be dead in a few years. You know, there are kids now in there, in their teens and twenties, who will by far outlive us, and they will have a much better life, knowing that their peer group get it. They understand that you know, who you want to stick a dick in or isn't important.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the uh, it's, uh, it's it's strange, isn't it, that each generation imagines that they were the right young people to change the world. <laughs> they changed the world to exactly the right amount and any further is now... Uh, I think that's one of the reasons that people get so angry is because they realise that they have become the same middle-aged person and they wish to say... that I'm not that, though. I'm not... I mean... I, it's, it's, it's interesting reading about, um, you know, in in the final chapter of the book, you talk a little bit about, you know, some of the, the, uh, what I see is extreme aggression towards uh, trans people, especially in the mainstream, in in, in huge comedy specials. Yeah. In you know, um, and also it's now seems to have really in, be further on in terms of non-binary issues. And when we we're recording this, obviously the play I Joan uh, is being talked about at, at the Globe. And, and I was intru- I wanted to talk to you about when you talk about the Stonewall, uh, um, the Stonewall riots, and and one of the events before then as well. I've seen various people who've said. The reason that we need to be one of the reasons we should be allies uh, with trans people is they were always there, and they were there, and that. And I've seen other people saying, um, "Oh, that's absolutely rubbish." Actually, there were no trans people at Stonewall, and 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 as you have, as a historian, and as you've, I'd just like to kind of clear up that.
2: There are arguments. There are always going to be arguments about that, but it's bollocks frankly. There were trans people at Stonewall. There were trans people inside. There were trans people outside. You know, Marsha P. Johnson might not have been there at the second the first bottle was thrown. She was there later. Jane County was there that day. There were people, you know, there were people from the trans community at Stonewall, and they were the people that were being targeted by the police. And at the time, they you know, it was trans people that were being targeted. You know, to ignore trans people's roles in 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 the Stonewall riots is is frankly insulting and insane. But one of the things I really wanted to do with this book was was go back further and look actually, and, and fi- I found it in there. Um, Or I found a story about something that happened 250 years before that in Britain, in Covent Garden, which you can actually look at now and say, well, these are trans people. You know, these were these were guys who were who were we would call them cross dressers in the 70s and 80s. But these, you know, these were more than likely trans people who were choosing or rather they were forced into positions where they had to socialize in certain places and they were being raided. But they chose at that point to fight back. 250 years before Stonewall, trans people were fighting back. It's the first um, example I found. There are probably earlier ones, but it's the first one that I found that I can actually say this is a very, very clear example of the LGBTQ community standing up against oppression. You know, 250 years before Stonewall. It's been going on for centuries. This is nothing new. And, And... Back then, 250 years before Stonewall, those people were being treated in exactly the same way. Their stores were being erased, they were being, you know, treated as, as freaks because they happened to be blokes in dresses or whatever else was the, t- you know, whatever terms were being used about them. Their lives were erased as much as possible, or or straightwashed, if you like, as much as possible. Um, And that's something that's gone on for centuries and will continue to happen every time a trans person chooses to use they them pronouns, somebody else, some ignorant person will turn around and and call them he or she, you know, it's, it's always going to happen. Well, it's not always going to happen because eventually, as I said, those, those people doing that will be gone. And, you know, the generation coming up behind them know better.
0: Uh, uh, what, what do you think it is that has been the the drive in in, in particular I, th- I suppose probably the last four years is it in terms of you know the the number of of because to me it does remind me a lot of of clause 28 building up to section 28 and the amount of newspaper space given up to what again I, I see a lot of as being scare stories and what I find interesting is that some of the voices who are now promoting those scare stories, I would imagine would have been the same people who were um talking against clause twenty eight and and cetera. yeah
2: I think you always look for somebody or something to to belittle to to rail against to fight. you look for the lowest common denominator all the time. For many many years, it was it was black people. For many years, it was gay people. You can't you know you can't go on TV now and rail against against the African American community or or anybody of you know a black or a minority ethnic background. You can't do that. You can't go on TV now and rail against gay people or lesbians because you'll get letters. But you can do it against trans people because you know, they're not organised enough and. The people aren't for them yet. You know, they haven't been legislated for in the same way that you know the ethnic minorities and sec- and, and and gay, and lesbian people have been in the past. It's. <laughs> You know, um, the dog eats the cat. The cat eats the mouse. The mouse eats the fly. Whatever else it might be, and it's it's going to be that every time. They're always looking for somebody to double down on, somebody to attack. There has to be a victim somewhere. So who can we who can we attack currently that is not being stood up for? Oh, trans people—they're an easy target. Let's have them, and it will change. It will change eventually, but it's going to be a hard battle because you know where'd you go next? You can't, you know, we can't um, see Piers Morgan on TV, you know, railing against, and I've I'm, I'm just chosen that name as the first hateful right wing bigot that came into my mind, um, uh, going on TV railing against disabled people. Can we? Of course we can't. But you can not forget go trans people. Of course you can. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that he was doing the same thing against gay people. It wasn't that long ago that he was writing horrific headlines in the, in the sun about AIDS and HIV, you know. Of course, these people are going to keep looking for a victim because it gets them viewers. It gets readers in, to buy the newspapers. It creates a buzz around these this hateful persona that they have. You know, Alex Jones is of this world and all the rest of them. Uh, get in the bin. They'll all be gone soon.
0: Well I love that there's so many interesting figures in in the that, as you said both the famous and, and and people who are not really known you know people who, who work with gay sweatshop and many other things as well but there was uh um I I was thinking about uh Rob Halford pops up yeah. and I, I presume you've read Rob Halford's autobiography have mm-hmm. you what an amazing book that is in the fact that if anyone hasn't read it it's called Confess, as far as i remember yeah as well. yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's right. and um so it's the first five pages of, of a very poetic look at the kind of the Midlands, the black country, the kind of, you know, the, 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 the smog and the dirt. And, the and then very quickly, he finds uh, some some gay pornography in the youth club. And then not long afterwards, he finds a dildo in a drawer in the youth club as well. And, and, and it's just this uh, the way that the, the story is told. and I, And I love that thing about metal as well, which is. You would imagine that that would be a more, possibly more regressive. But anyone who's ever been to to a gig yeah, know. know that uh, the 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 rage is in the mosh pit, but it's all encompassing, and everyone's ready to pick people back up again. and And, and I always find that often there's a, there's more progressive and a more kind of empathetic uh, fans than there are sometimes in lovely sad independent music
2: oh absolutely absolutely i mean there's a story in the book um uh, steve swindles who was um keyboard player with hawkwind tells me about or told me about when um hawkwind's roadies who were all you know hell's angels or when he came out to them and they were all absolutely wonderful about it. they were all giving each other anyway there was there was a story he told me, which I don't think I used in the book, um, about one Hell's Angel who had something tattooed across his backside. Uh, basically, said insert here, you know. Uh- <laughs> it's you know, I've, I've met the metal world is not, you know, is is not um, immune. <laughs> shall we say, and it never was. And anybody who grew up watching Judas Priest only had to see Rob Halford as a kind of leather-clad Brooke Taylor prancing across the stage to know that something was going on, you know. he was He's Freddie Mercury without the moustache at that point. It's just anybody who knows anything about gay culture from that period, that kind of clone look, knew exactly where it came from.
0: There's that lovely story in, in Halford's book where I think, I can't remember where he is in the Midwest, and they're on tour, and he just walks into this kind of the little local gay bar, and there's Freddie Mercury as well, and they're both like, oh, what are you doing here? Uh, and exactly. also Dusty Springfield, I mean, that's another thing, which is, you know, uh, pretty much you, you consider her to be the first pop star who actually came out. Would that, that be fair in, in, well, in, in, yeah. in the world of pop?
2: I mean, that's pretty true. I mean, when, when you think about Dusty's conversation uh, with the Evening Standard in, uh, I think it was 1970, when she kind of talks about how she's uh, appreciated by people and how she's written about. And she talks, she says something like, I- I'm gay, 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 gay. That's what they say. I'm just me. Um, it's the first time that any major pop star or any British major pop star has has said anything about their sexuality in print uh, or to the media. Uh, so it's it's incredibly important. People look back and and see you know the Bowie interview when he's where he says you know even when I was David Jones I was gay, uh, I'm gay and I always have been. Um, that's eighteen months later. You know Dusty did it first and 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 the thing about the previous book, the Velvet Mafia, was very much about the gay men behind the scenes, but there were women as well and women uh, women again are one of those you know uh, women get erased lesbian women, bisexual women, queer women often get erased from this story. And that's one of the things I've really wanted to put right with the new book um, is to make sure that, you know, that, that, we, that I got it right, that there are women represented, that there are so many women who are so important to to the LGBTQ community that need to have space to have their voices heard. And that's that's one of the things I'm, I'm probably most proud of in this book is that it's not just about you know white middle class gay men there's an awful lot of you know of of uh, black people in here there's an awful lot of lesbian people in here there are there are lots of trans people or trans voices in here i wanted to make sure that everybody or every section of the community if you like was represented in some way because so many histories so many lgbtq histories are written about you know, white gay men living in London, and well, and that's nothing.
0: Well you? It, it's like when you because Jane County pops up quite a lot, and that that took me back to you know, uh, it, it, it's it's man enough to be a woman, isn't it? The uh, the serpent said, which is is well worth. I'll recommend that to anyone listening. It's well worth digging out that uh, um, autobiography by Jane County. It does seem as well that that because you know I've I've been I come from uh, and am in a very advantageous place in terms of what I am and who I am. And uh, I think it does seem to, people don't like having to admit that, do they? People don't like that that sense that you've got an easier hand, as I have. You know, there's I, I don't know what I do. It, it, it's like that, the Stephen Jay Gould line that I often go back to, he said, I don't overly revere Albert Einstein because I think of all the Einsteins that were working in the fields. And, and I think, you know, and it does seem that for, there's a certain form, a lot of journalists, a lot of those kind of, uh, you know, white male journalists who, the mere fact that someone might suggest, or in any kind of intersectional way as well, that not everyone's had it as easy. It's like, well, I've had it hard too. And you go, yeah, but we have different levels of, of course. you know. If, 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 of if, course. I mean, I'm
2: really aware. Sorry Robert, I didn't mean to interrupt, but um, oh, no, I, I'm I'm really aware that I'm, you know, I'm I'm a middle-aged white, reasonably middle class bloke. Uh there's an awful lot of people I I try to represent within what I do who have had a much, much, much harder experience than I have you know mine hasn't been the easiest but my god you know i've got a roof over my head there's food in the fridge you know i've got a husband in the next room i've got a dog to take for walks i've got a nice record collection i've got good friends what else do i need you know um there are an awful lot of people that had nothing like that experience you know and and i do I, i really do appreciate that sometimes it's 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 hard as a as I said you know as as a as a white middle-class middle-aged bloke to forget that some of the people you're talking to and some of the people you you are representing in your work have had a much shittier experience and I I do try my best to get that right and at least to give them uh representation
0: yeah yeah, I think the, uh, it was weird, I, I, I saw someone tweeting the other day, uh, a woman tweeting about the fact that period poverty doesn't exist in this country. And I was like, kind of, what, why do you, what, what, why is that the issue for the, because that doesn't seem to be what I've heard from other people. Um, Absolutely. Why, why decide that's the thing? And and I think a lot of those things, again, come from someone saying, no, 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 I I, I have it toughest. And, you know, the Lawrence Fox syndrome, which oh. did not go... Uh, I'm so sorry for bringing him up, but <laughs> it, you know, that, that, that thing... You're, you're allowed to burp as much as you want now, by the way. It, in fact, you're even allowed to fully on wretch, and we will we keep that in. But, you know, that that thing of going, just, just acknowledge you're the son... You come from an acting dynasty. You have yeah. advantages. It doesn't mean that you're a bad actor or any of those things. But if you can't just say, do you know what? I was lucky. Then... Mm. Uh, you know, if, if you have to work out a way of saying that your victimhood is actually as great as an equality of victimhood, then that just means you're entirely ignoring so many stories from, from the world.
2: Well, of course it is. You're absolutely right. And there are so many people that we could mention that, that like that, that are doing exactly that thing. And, and it, it makes my blood boil because this kind of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's so... Entitled is what it is, isn't it? People are so bloody entitled. They they feel they're so entitled to tell you, you know, their particular horror stories, you know, the horror story that, that you know, today weightos are out of oat milk or whatever it might be. You know, for God's sake, you know, we, we're talking about the lives of people who are living in bloody gutters, you know, who are living in rain gullies because they because they have no support anywhere. They have no support financially, physically, emotionally. You know, and and you're, you know, you've got your wonderful house in Hampstead, paid by paid by your father and grandfather and whatever else. And yes, you can go on anti social media and and rail against, you know, a fifteen year old who's having issues with their gender. But what the hell does that? What does that show you to be? Anything apart from an absolute asshole?
0: Yeah, I've I've seen it's interesting this year at the Edinburgh Fringe of uh, there's mm. been kind of not for the first time. But an increasing push to talk about working class comedians and the fact that a little bit like, you know, Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own, they're actually having the space to create and to have. And I mean that in a a metaphorical as well as a physical way, the space to create the the chance that the money to say I can afford to take this risk and it's been interesting seeing there seem to be a growing number of voices talking about about that and 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 again some people seem to take offence. As and you go well you know again the, the, those those there is an advantage to being able to have a voice to to go I can I can afford to do this and I think it's an interesting thing I think we saw it in writing with people like uh, Kit Duvall and, uh, and Lisa Blower and others mm-hmm. as well talking about some of the voices that seem to be disappearing as a lot of the uh, what you might call the safety net, yeah, you know, it's, it's like all the alternative com- comics who in the eighties managed to get the uh, what was it called the, uh, the 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 YTS training scheme. <laughs> they, they managed to you know uh, rant about uh, Thatcher while while on the YTS, um, and so a lot of those things have gone uh a lot of that support to to be able to to work out how to be an artist and of course so much of the expression that we're hearing from these new candidates to be prime minister is you know oh well make sure you do a degree that actually means that you can immediately do something practical it's everything seems to be against expression and art and and these things which are meant to be these beautiful british traditions and the wonder of our theater and that seems to be detached from the realization that to make theatre, you can't immediately write Starlight Express. <laughs> I'm not saying you should ever write Starlight Express, but I'm not against roller skates.
2: God alive, have you seen Starlight Express? Have you ever been to it? Oh, Jesus, God, I've been twice. <laughs> you don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to rewrite Starlight Express. We can live without that. We really can. But there's, you know, art, theatre, painting, drawing, dance, music, these cultural these cultural items are so goddamn important. They're so important to our well-being, to to our sense of who we are, just just the just to want to get up in the morning and see something beautiful or listen to something beautiful or be inspired by something inspiring. Um these things are massively important and <laughs> And I, I will never understand, well, I'll never understand politicians anyway, I don't think, but I will never understand politicians who don't who don't get it, who don't get how important, you know, our leisure time is and how important our social time is and how, how important it is for us to have good stuff to look at and good stuff to listen to and good stuff to read. Where do they think it comes from? Do they think it will stop with Plato? You know, where do they think it comes from? You know, these are you know, those those awful politicians who will who will stand at sports events and sing along to Neil Diamond bloody songs. You know they probably never read a book in their lives for for goodness sake. They probably never had been to a play unless it was put on by by a school and they had to go because they're a bloody patron. You know, these people infuriate me because they have no understanding of life at all. Life isn't just getting up in the morning, going to work, coming home, eating, going to bed. There's a lot of other stuff that goes on. There's an awful lot of other stuff that goes on. There's, you know, there's all of those wonderfully sensual things that all of us enjoy. Anything from from you know taking a 10 minute walk and just, just getting a bit of sun through to sitting down with a brilliant book or listening to a great piece of music.
0: They're important. Yeah, yeah I think I suppose the thing is that, that you you're going to have a lower uh understanding of art uh, if you have a lower amount of empathy because art is the you know, whether it's novels or whether it's films or whether it's a a, a night of music, whatever it is, the, those fantastic, you know, sometimes transcendent moments or sometimes just walking in someone else's shoes. Uh, and you want to you you want to experience other people's lives.
2: That's exactly what it is, isn't it? But it also empathy is empathy is is probably the perfect word. But it also you you have to be able to listen to somebody else because most of what we know about about literature or or about great film or or or, or ballet or 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 music or whatever it might be has been taught to us by somebody else. You know, we've listened to people, we've listened to our peer group or or the next generation or somebody say, go and watch this, it's great. If you're not listening to people, if you're not prepared to open up to other people's thoughts and ideas, you'll never get that. You will live this incredibly sad little life when you you just, you know, your only ambition is to be the next Margaret Thatcher.
0: When it should be to be the next Janelle Monet. Obviously. god
2: yes uh, yeah absolutely
0: i'll ask you just before we went. i need to get a few little bits of advice on books uh who was your first what was your first favorite book you remember when you were a kid was the one that you just went back to all the time
2: um the only book i can remember reading and rereading when i was young is the moons a balloon by david niven oh it's interesting i loved it i absolutely loved it and, and in, in a kind of weird way i think it's kind of affected the way i write myself is it's, it's kind of got that slightly hollywood babylon feel about it i guess um and i do remember reading i'm picking that up as a paperback from my dad's workplace my dad was um station officer for the ambulance station uh, ambulance service and they had um a duty room where the guys would hang around with you know waiting for the next call to come in and there was a bookcase with books on and i picked up a copy of coronet books paperback of the moons a balloon and i took it home and i read it and I read it again, and I read it again, and over the next few years, I read it several times, and I absolutely loved it. Um, So probably that, and I think that's, and I've never thought about it until now, but I think that's probably actually sent me down a path, yeah.
0: That's great because that book as well, there's that lovely thing, which many people now say, well, of course, most of it's made up, but it doesn't matter because no. he wrote it so well. It's, it's that bit. It's uh, what an interesting character he always is to, to a matter of life and death is one of my favourite films. Oh, of, it's
2: uh, it genuinely time. one of my favourite films of all time, a matter of life and death. It's, it's a film I can I could go and put on now and, and, and enjoy every second of it. It's brilliant, book, brilliant film.
0: Yeah, it's so beautiful and it's so uh oh, I I just uh, uh I love you June because your life and I'm leaving it. Absolutely adore it. Um what's your what are your favorite books that you've read this year? What have what have you enjoyed most?
2: Oh gosh, um I'm I'm reading several. You know, I've I've always got about four books on the go at once. Um usually because there's something I'm using for research, something something to read in the toilet, which you're not going to you're not going to like me, but it's actually one of yours. <laughs>
0: That's all right. That's if if I'm helping motions, that's great.
2: (laughs) uh, I always have a book. I always have a book in the toilet and it's actually um, it's 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 copy of The Bad Book Club, which um, I picked up fairly recently. Somebody mentioned it on on Twitter or something. And I thought I've not read that. So I I went and got a copy.
0: Something and now like you're going to have to get all the crabs on the rampage books because there's <laughs> there's, there's been a, there's been a resurgence in fascination with Guy N Smith as well because I think Matthew Sweet originally wrote an article about the giant killer crab movie yeah. that was going to be a Doctor Who movie so yeah. it's kind of moved into two two you know cult worlds there. Do
2: you know, there's a, there's a weird little like weird little takeaway from that is that um, I'm a massive massive XTC fan. I love that band like nothing on earth um, and. Back in oh, back 1984, Hugh Cornwall from The Stranglers interviewed the Three Piece XTC for their fan magazine, Strangled. And there's a photograph of the three of them reading books. And Colin Moulding is holding one of those crab books. I can't remember which one it is, but he's actually reading from what... Andy's reading something about sex, obviously. But Colin's reading reading one of those, you know, Day of the Crabs or whatever they're called kind of books. Um, so what have I read this year? I mean, I, um, I'm currently reading or have just almost finished um the Duke fakir um, autobiography Duke fakir from the from the four tops so I love the four tops I mean anything to do with music I'm I've always got something in my head or my nose in something about music somebody's just given me a copy of the the, the Beatles book one two three four so I've got to read that soon um I've've i I've, I've always got something on the go I've I've just about halfway through a very old copy because it's been out of print for years of uh douglas bing's autobiography oh um which i i forget for the life of me what it's called now i don't have it in front of me it's downstairs and i'm rereading um chris albertson's um bessie smith autobiography because i'm using um some of that for my next book
0: I should mention to people listening to this as well that my friend Andre Vincent, who does these misplaced comedy heroes uh, things, and he spent about a year and a half. The new one is all about Douglas Bing, uh, and and it, it started ages ago because I found I think it's George Melly that I, I, I'm one of those people who buys old copies of Sunday colour supplements and stuff, sure. junk shops. And there was mm-hmm. no independent. The Independent used to have at the back of its magazine a thing called Heroes and Villains. Someone would either pick a villain, and George Melly picked as his hero Douglas Bing. So I sent that to Andre, and that is so. Look for it. Look up Andre Vincent, misplaced comedy heroes. If you listen to this, and you'll get a little introduction to uh, a very, very fascinating uh, individual. Um, and it means that you'll be in conversation with people, and you'll be able to say, "Oh, have you ever heard of Douglas Bing?" And when they say no, you can feel tremendously erudite.
2: He's a bit of an obsession of mine currently. I am slightly obsessed with him, and and people like Godfrey, not Godfrey Win, or Godfrey Win's quite an interesting character as well. Who am I thinking of? Oh god i've got i've got to look at my bookcase now and can't think for the life of me who's the um who's the guy that the, uh, oh um i'm gonna have to have a look hang on a second gilbert harding gilbert harding yeah so so kind of old school queers i'm a bit obsessed with it at the minute um so people like douglas Bing and gilbert harding um but um yeah those those that's probably what i'm reading at the minute those those four currently yeah
0: That'll do. That's good. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for, Joyce. Uh, Thank you very much, everyone who's been, uh, who's listening to this. Thank you very much, everyone who supports us via our Patreon. Uh, I'm going to do a plug for my books. It's going to be out soon. I'm getting worried because I'm away, uh, I'm abroad for the whole time. So it's called Bibliomaniac. And it's all about my uh, visiting 105 bookshops and it's lots of adventures in books and books. And in fact, all the people you read most, the, the four of the people that pop up a great deal in it are uh, Joe Wharton, uh, James Baldwin, uh, Derek John, and Kenneth Williams, because all of those, when I was a teenager, they just they fascinated me so much and I still return to the – um so, yeah, it's – it's a, a and, and also there's a big bit about Jenny Lives with Erica Martin as well because I had a car journey with Kenneth Baker once. Oh, yeah, really? Doing the Wigtown Book Festival. You know that bit where you do a book festival and it turns out there's a long car journey and you share it with someone and you hope it's an author that – and what I found fascinating because as you quote – in fact, I think I've got the same quote in my book about what Kenneth <laughs> – <laughs> about Jenny Liv, and Eric and Martin and the thing about Kenneth Baker is that he actually, unlike a lot of those people we're talking about, he has so many interests and he really is a well-read individual mm. and I'm fascinated in the way that I'm not fascinated in how these politicians the Liz Trusses etc have come to their supposed conclusions. With Kenneth Baker I think, how can someone who was so deeply fascinated in so many areas of art and, and literature have got carried on that wave of 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 mid-80s homophobia and i found it very interesting thank you so much for joining us daryl pop pride and politics out now thank you everyone for listening cheers
2: thank you very much robin it's been a pleasure
1: thank you very much for listening daryl's book is out now as are all of robin's obviously None Lessons tickets are on sale. Subscribe at Patreon, patreon.com slash bookshambles. Rate, like, review, five stars. You know all the things I rattle through at the end of each and every episode. Back next week with another new episode when our guest should be the very popular Guardian columnist, Marina Hyde. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Bye.
0: This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.
1: Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was
0: produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. We'll i